recovery is not going to find you by accident. You have to chase it. Like you have to chase it down a dark alley and, and, and grab it and, you know, shake the change out of its pants and this kind of stuff because it won't happen for you. You have to go and plan it. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online and face-to-face courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, with up to a massive 40% discount for members of Australian Fitness Network. In this episode, the Director of Curriculum for Precision Nutrition, Krista Scott-Dixon, talks the effect of exercise on the immune system, the role protein plays in recovery, why we should eat stinky foods, and getting firefighters to the fire in good time, with Network's Rachel Livingston. Welcome, Krista. Thanks for having me. Let's start. Can you tell me a little bit about the relationship between the immune system and exercise? Yeah, great question. And and this helps us, I think, get a bit of context about what we're talking about. So I'd like to get us to step back a little bit and think more broadly about what is the relationship between movement or stressors or other things going on in our life and the systems that we have in our body that help respond to that. So as you're listening to this, start thinking about your body as a complex system that has all these things coming in and going out and is responding to the environment. So the big picture of, the, of your question is really how do we respond to our environment and, and what's happening inside us. And so our immune system is a system that is devoted to responding to what's happening outside and what's happening inside. And the other thing that's helpful to understand in a big picture kind of way is the relationship between what happens in an acute situation. So what happens, uh, for example, with a single bout of exercise or what happens with a single injury, for example, in that moment versus chronic. So what happens long-term, what happens with repeated stressors or challenges to our immune system? So in general, exercise and the type that we think about, so, you know, a workout, for example, is a challenge to our immune system. So we respond with a temporary depressing of our immune system, but then it rebounds and it comes back stronger. So the health promoting effects of exercise in general are ideally that we have a little bit of a dip in our immune system and then we come back stronger. So over time, if you exercise moderately and infrequently, or if I should say frequently, but not too frequently, you will have a nice, healthy, robust immune system. Whereas if we exercise too infrequently or too hard, too intensely, we will start to see the immune system break down because that's a chronic stressor. So there's actually quite a complex relationship between exercise and the immune system, which I think is kind of neat because it shows that uh, we are complex systems always responding to our environment. And the last point is the degree to which you can respond effectively is determined by a bunch of other factors too. So what does your recovery look like? How well are you sleeping? What's your state of mind? What's your hormonal status? What's your age? So yeah, it's a complex relationship, but in, in simple terms, some exercise is a good thing for our immune system. 
a lot of exercise is not so great for our immune system. So our, our goal is really just to find that happy medium. That's all really interesting. I'm sure what a lot of people don't think about when they're actually planning their exercise, and maybe they do need to talk a little bit more about this to their trainer. Hmm. So next, maybe you could explain to us about the concepts of inflammation, proliferation and remodeling, because these might be new things to a lot of trainers and indeed their clients. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, when you first injure yourself or when you first get a kind of an acute illness, it can seem a bit random. It can seem a bit messy, but there's actually a very specific step-by-step process that our body follows. So it's got procedures and systems for dealing with an acute injury. So the first thing that happens is obviously an, an, an immediate response to an injury. So let's say we cut ourselves or, you know, tear something or whatever. There's this immediate first responder response. So particular chemicals are recruited to the site of damage. And these chemicals say, uh-oh, right? Come pay attention. They, they call out to other cells in the immune system and they say, hey, everyone, there's something happening here that you need to pay attention to. So all this stuff rushes to the site of injury and we get pain, you know, which is the nerves going, oh, you know, let's not have further damage. So it's like a sensitization. We have uh, chemicals that are looking for pathogens to attack pathogens. There are chemicals that tell other chemicals, hey, come over here. And so it's like you have this four alarm fire just happening in this acute moment. And this is a good thing. So this is our acute inflammatory response. And we want this because this is what does immediate damage control. This is what immediately gets the fire crew to the site of the fire and starts putting it out. So, you know, in the first stages of an injury, sometimes people are tempted to pop like anti-inflammatory drugs, right? You you sprain your ankle and immediately you reach for some kind of, you know, like a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, something like that. But we actually want inflammation. This is a good thing. The problem comes when inflammation persists for far too long. But in the natural stage of things, so we have this acute inflammation phase, you get redness, swelling, pain, that's from fluid rushing into the area. And then things start to settle down in an ideal scenario, right? The body's like, okay, we've handled the immediate threat. Now we're going to calm down a little bit. And now we're going to survey the damage and see what can be done. So the cleanup crew starts to come in and like munch up all these little bits of cellular waste. It's called phagocytosis. So it it is almost like a little, like a little Pac-Man that comes in and like munches up all the stuff. And then you have like the survey crew coming in and saying, okay, what do we need to do here? And so you have this cleanup of the damage and then you start to have rebuilding of new tissue and there are different phases to it. So there's like a temporary scaffolding, you know, like on a construction site, you have the scaffold and you have the pieces of plywood and stuff. It's actually kind of a similar process. And then you have the more permanent structures beginning to be built. So it is this very organized process. And it often takes longer than people expect. And so, you know, the acute inflammation phase can can be 24 hours, 48 hours, maybe a few days, let's say, maybe up to a week. The migration process where things like new stuff starts coming in can be, you know, a few days, a few weeks, maybe even a few months in some cases. And then this remodeling phase can take much, much longer depending on what you've injured. So you'll know if you've, if you've injured something that's very blood rich and gets lots of circulation, it heals pretty quickly. Like if you cut your face, it'll bleed a lot, but it'll heal very quickly. Whereas if you injure something like uh, that doesn't get a very good blood flow, like a, like a ligament, for example, that can take a much longer time 
to remodel. Maybe it's more complex as well. So there is, I guess, you know, the, the point here is that there is this very structured step-by-step process of inflammation that happens. And it gets a bit of a bad rap in certain ways because we hear, you know, about chronic inflammation, but we do need some inflammation. It's definitely a good thing. That's certainly a whole new way of looking at things for trainers and, and very interesting. A good structure, though, that, um, you know, is easy to follow. I guess what is really important is understanding how our food choices might influence positively or negatively our immune system and injury recovery. And what exactly do we eat to, to have that positive or negative influence? I guess that's what we all want to know. Yeah, and everyone is looking for the magic bullet, right? Everyone is looking for what is that one supplement that I can take that will fix everything, right? Or that one diet that I can have. I remember my mother at one point, she she decided to try eating paleo. And she called me up one day and said, I have this tendonitis in my thumb. And I'm really mad about that because I thought that when I started eating paleo, I wouldn't have any inflammation anymore. And I said, mom, you're 70 years old, like stuff's just going to get inflamed. (laughs) So we tend to look for what is the magic bullet solution. And I would encourage us to think a different way about it, which is to say, what are the fundamental best practices that we can have in place to give ourselves the best chances of recovery and to minimize this kind of dysfunctional chronic inflammation. So I encourage people to think about like, what's the base of the pyramid, right? What is, what are all the fundamental things that we should be doing consistently before we get injured or before we get sick to help us have the best chance of recovery? So one of the most foundational pieces, I would say, is getting enough protein because almost all of the things that you're going to need in the injury recovery process or the illness recovery process are protein-based, whether that's the cells of your immune system, whether that's the, the chemical messengers that are sent, whether that's the actual pieces of the tissue that are being made, that's all protein-based. So research is very clear. For example, if we have a patient in the ICU, the research has discovered we need to give them more protein, even if we're feeding them intravenously or or enterally, I should say, we need to give them more protein. And so, you know, we need to have enough protein in our systems to build those raw materials. So that's piece number one. Piece number two is we need to eat all of our healthy, colorful fruits and vegetables that we all know about, right? And everyone listening is like, I know I'm supposed to eat them. (laughs) And we don't always, but we should, because these contain the vitamins, the minerals, the phytonutrients, the antioxidants, you know, the complex chemical compounds that have all these beneficial effects within our body. And then certain fruits and vegetables, for example, help us with blood clotting. One of the things I noticed, because I do martial arts, you get a lot of bruises in martial arts. And I noticed when I really cranked up my green vegetables, which have, uh, you know, uh, clotting factors in them, uh, I stopped bruising. Or if I got a bruise, it healed really, really quickly. So that's another piece to think about. Uh, A third piece to think about is to look at the quality of your fat intake, because fat helps to manufacture many inflammatory compounds. And so the type of fat can regulate 
the production of inflammatory or anti-inflammatory chemicals because inflammation is almost like this balance, like a seesaw or a teeter-totter, as we say in Canada, of creating inflammation and dampening inflammation. So you don't want to dampen inflammation completely because you need it, (laughs) but you don't want to crank it up too high either. And so having a good balance of healthy fats helps us balance that seesaw between pro-inflammatory or inflammation-causing and anti-inflammatory factors. And then the basics of actively recovering. So I tell people, you know, in 2017, if you live in the industrialized world, recovery is not going to find you by accident. You have to chase it. Like you have to chase it down a dark alley and, and, and grab it and, you know, shake the change out of its pants and this kind of stuff because it won't happen for you. You have to go and plan it. You have to plan your sleep. You have to plan your downtime. You have to plan those restorative activities because they won't just happen. So it's worth asking yourself, you know, how much time and energy and effort am I putting into things that restore me, things that boost my immune system? And so, and the final piece is really getting real about our stress levels. And this is a non-nutritional thing in certain ways, but you can also have nutritional stress. For example, are you dieting hard? Are you someone who's preparing for competition and really being stringent? Are you someone who's worrying a lot about your food intake? These are stressors and these take their toll. Are you restricting certain nutrients, whether that's macronutrients, food groups, whatever, that will have an effect on your immunity. So really, if you think about nutritional habits for for immunity, a lot of them are the basics. Now, in terms of specifics, we can look at, for example, omega-3 fatty acids. These have anti-inflammatory properties. So these can help to dampen the inflammation if it's already there. We can look at reducing our intake of processed fats, which tend to boost inflammation. We can look at supplementing with things like garlic, which is well known to be antimicrobial, antiviral. It has all these lovely properties to it. We can supplement with ginger, which also has an anti-inflammatory. We can eat pineapple for the bromelain, or we can substitute these sort of enzymes. But to be totally honest, none of the things that you will supplement will come anywhere close to having your basics in place. A supplement that got a lot of attention but has been now uh, debated a bit in the research is curcumin. So the the active component in turmeric, and in fact, a naturopath in the United States just got in trouble for injecting someone with curcumin. So I I mean, I can't even imagine what a terrible idea that was, but but curcumin has been seen as one of the miracle uh, ingredients, and, and now it's being called into question a little bit in the research. So there really is no miracle single supplement. There's really a harmonious building of all of the right components. Yeah, what's really interesting to listen to there is that it is back to basics, yeah? Get the foundations right and preventative rather than just looking for the magic pill after you've got the injury or you've gotten sick or and, and thinking that that's the, the way that you can recover. So you touched on it a little bit there, but I'd love to go in a little bit more detail on what your view of supplementation is. You know, is it necessary? Are there some people who actually need it or some stages in life? Or do you think it's a waste of money? Are there, are there some supplements that really are worth it? Yeah, it's definitely a question that's on everyone's mind. And I, I think as as coaches and people who dispense nutritional advice, we want to be very careful about not offering a one-size-fits-all solution. And But that being said, one thing the research does show is that nutritional deficiencies of even basic nutrients 
are quite prevalent even in affluent industrialized countries, right? So, for example, I, I think in, in Australia, which is amazing to me because there's so much sunshine here, people are still deficient in vitamin D. And so this is remarkable, right? <laughs> Why isn't everyone outside getting their vitamin D? You know, at least we Canadians have an excuse. So, you know, so there are these very prevalent nutritional deficiencies that I do think come from uh, processed diets, being indoors, having a stress, all this kind of stuff. So for many people, supplementing with a basic multivitamin, multimineral is an appropriate strategy. Now, I personally like to follow data. So if there's some way that we can get tested, you know, for example, you get your vitamin D tested, and to know rather than guess or speculate or just randomly supplement, that's always a good plan. But, you know, I would say for most people or many people who have some risk of deficiency, multivitamin, multimineral is probably not the worst idea. But that being said, the data also show us that supplementing large amounts of, for example, antioxidants or, or even just multivitamins don't offer much benefit and may actively cause harm. So some of the antioxidant clinical trials had to be halted because they, researchers realized, oh my gosh, we're giving people diseases, right? <laughs> so so the, the antioxidants that we're giving to them with the hope that they will get better are actually making them worse. So, you know, if you're someone who is concerned about your dietary intake, you know, you can start with some basics. So omega-3 fatty acid is rarely a wrong choice for most people. Multivitamin, multimineral, you know, low dose for most people, perfectly fine, um, unless you have some reason to not take one. And then, you know, really most of the supplements that are promoted for anti-aging or for immune boosting are not clinically effective. They have not been shown to work. They, or if they have promising chemical properties, you cannot absorb them in the doses that you need, right? So you can show something in a lab like, oh, this compound, you know, killed cancer cells or something like that. But if I eat that compound, my body will do something with it that cannot replicate those results. Or I would need to eat such massive doses of that stuff as to render it ineffective. So, you know, I like to talk about really supplementing with real foods. And so instead of spending your money on a supplement, again, I do think omega-3s are probably the one exception, along with a probiotic. I think that's another one that has shown itself to be fairly well substantiated. You know, maybe your, your time and effort and mental real estate should be devoted to boosting your real food intake, as well as a lot of aromatic spices and herbs. Those do seem to contain compounds that are disease fighting and, and antibacterial, antimicrobial. So I always tell people eat stinky food, right? So garlic, onions, fresh herbs, any of those aromatic compounds very likely have some kind of disease fighting properties. So anything colorful, anything stinky, usually a, a good bet. Well, Krista, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us in the Fitness Industry Podcast. For a huge range of online nutrition courses, including Network's Elite Nutrition Coach Certification by Dr. Rebecca Reynolds, Accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, go to the network website and select the Courses tab. The Elite Nutrition Coach includes modules on Nutrition Strategies for Strength and Size, Fueling Fat Loss, and Effective Nutrition Coaching. 
Network members get massive discounts of up to 40% off courses, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au today to grow your skill set and fitness career.